0: No is necessary void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody, it's John from Word Balloon, letting you know that we've got a brand new mainframe Comic-Con event coming Black Friday, November 27th. It is going to be a Bat Black Friday featuring some incredible Batman creators. Topping the list, Clayman, Tom King, their brand new Batman Catwoman book is going to be out. And uh, we're going to be talking about that and have panels involving that, plus the Batman Black and White books coming back. And a whole lot more writers and artists that have been connected with the Bat. You're also you're going to have a great opportunity to buy some exclusive prints from artists like Clay Mann, David Finch, Mitch Garretts, Jason Fabek, and a whole lot more. Go to the Mainframe Comic-Con website, mainframecomiccon.com, to get all the details. So join us the evening of Black Friday, November 27th, for Bat Black Friday, presented by Mainframe Comic-Con. For all the details, head over to Mainframe Comic-Con. It's going to be a great Black Friday event. See you there. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. It's Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Sutras here with another great conversation from Baltimore Comic-Con. Uh, Anything made me happier than putting two creators in a room together and just letting them talk. Now, we did this with uh, Bendis and Jerry Conway. We did this with Mark Wade and Tom Brevoort. Uh, Vita Ayala talked to Shelley Bond that way. And today I present the conversation between Dave Gibbons and Tom King. Uh, Again, at first I was like, oh, I can get Dave from Baltimore Comic Con. And I'll talk to him. It'll be great. And I'm like, wait a minute. I always talk to Dave Gibbons, and don't get me wrong, I love talking to Dave Gibbons, uh, but I'm like, wait a minute, I'll, I'll talk to Dave to promote Baltimore Comic Con, and then during the convention, I'll get someone else to talk to him, and of course, Tom is in the midst of his uh, Rorschach Black Label story, and I thought, this will be great. I'll have Tom talk to Dave, and I asked Dave, and Dave's like, that sounds great. And Tom's like, oh my god, that sounds amazing. So uh, Tom did his homework and uh, got ready to have this amazing conversation with Dave, And uh, it was a lot of fun, and I'm really glad that this happened. So now I'm presenting the audio version of it. Dave Gibbons and Tom King in conversation on today's Word Balloon. This episode of Word Balloon brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners and their subscriptions and support of Word Balloon via Patreon, patreon.com slash wordballoon. I am pleased to say that not only are there listeners... But also, a lot of comic book guests are uh, supporters of Word Balloon via Patreon and part of the league. Uh, I would like to uh, send you a domino mask and cape for your support. If you're interested, I know it's a weird time and a lot of people are counting every penny. Um, Is Word Balloon and the programming I provide to you each month worth a dollar a month to you? Is it worth the price of a comic book a month? If you think it is, if you can swing it, I hope you'll consider a subscription to Word Balloon via Patreon. patreon Patreon.com. Slash Word Balloon. Word Balloon is also brought to you by AfterShock Comics. AfterShock has a really interesting slate of books that are happening. A really neat book that just got announced. It's called Knock 'Em Dead, and it's from Elliot Ryall and Mattia Monaco. Prior Bryce has always wanted to be funny, and now he's taken the plunge and started doing stand-up comedy. Unfortunately, his older sister Ronan wants her brother to stop daydreaming and focus on his future prior is determined to succeed the only problem is he totally sucks at stand-up that is until an accident changes everything leading both prior and ronan to discover comedy isn't all all it's cracked up to be coming your way in december it's knock dead a supernatural horror about the high cost of making it brought to you by elliot royale and Mattia monaco from aftershock comics pretty neat stuff a new interesting book that will be joining the aftershock pantheon Check out more details. Go to their website and find out about more great series, full story descriptions, preview pages of art, and the diamond coats on how to order these books and more at Uh, AfterShotComics.com.
1: Hello, everyone. Uh, My name is Tom King. I write comics for DC Comics, sometimes for Marvel. And I'm here to introduce – I don't like to call people legends. People get mad at you when you call people legends. I just want to introduce to you one of the geniuses of the medium um, who says he's semi-retired but he's still geniusing out there. Uh, you know him from such works as uh, Martha Washington, all the things behind me. Uh, Batman v. Predator, Kingsman, uh, the originals, a lot of Green Lantern, uh, Future Shocks, 2080. And I think that's it. That's probably the end of his career. This is Mr. Dave Gibbons. Hi,
2: it's Tom. Hello, everybody. Pleasure to be here.
1: Jeez, do you know how fucking nervous I am interviewing you, man? You are yep. ruining my Sunday. I just want you to know that all the way from here. I do. America. I know
2: exactly how nervous you are because I know what a huge nerd you are and how important this this is to you, Tom. But relax. You're in good hands. I'm a professional. The conversation oh. will flow. Everybody's going to go home happy.
1: Thank God. I'm. I, I. I was genuinely like. I. I. You know. I lined up your works behind me and I couldn't find wow. my copy of Future Shocks, uh, which I realized I had lent to my son, who stupidly lost it. So yeah. I'm running around after my son now, so you've cost me the relationship with my children. Well,
2: I things. mean, that's kind of a detail. I think your set dressing is is really, really good. And to be honest, amongst all that work, my, my entire amassed life's work, a volume or two is never going to be noticed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know, I was missing some Captain America. I was sad. Some Green Lantern stuff. I'll find it. We'll, we'll do this again. I'll do, I'll do, I'll do okay. some CGI and put it back in. All right. All right, Dave, so... I want to do this. You can object. I want this to be a conversation. So you take this wherever you want. If you want to talk about wine and, and anything, I'm uh, perfectly cool. But I, I have the idea that we should just go through how to create a comic book. Because I read your book, How to Create a Comic Book, back here. How do comics work? Yep. And I had some disagreements with it. I was like, who is this Dave Gibbons? I think he is. No, uh, uh, no, but I think I have different approaches than you do on some ways and some ways the same. So I thought we could, for an hour, sort of go through from, like, having an idea for a comic to actually you know putting letters on a page like from the big to the minute and as we go through the conversation talk about your works because i have questions about them all because i just did a huge reread and they're fucking brilliant Mm -hmm. um i cannot say how much i envy you as both a writer and well i can't even say envy for an artist
2: but you're uh, it's incredible um so is that cool if we just go through how to do a comic book that's that's fine you sound like the most organized interviewer that i've ever experienced so i place placed myself <laughs> in, in your hand and let's go on the adventure come i in notes wow look that's how
1: i this is pre-prepared man this is all i've been look, doing
2: i've got notes as well so i don't forget people's names that's what i've come to so <laughs> it's, it's, Tom, it's pronounced king and you work with that guy mitchell mick mike what's his name you know Look, both of us work with God. Have worked with
1: geniuses whose beards are intimidating to our bald heads. So True. I think we have we have this in common. And I think I think they almost do it to mock us.
2: Really?
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. So let's start with the big. So someone comes to you. Uh, it's Karen Berger. It's Len Wein. It's uh, DC Comics. It's an indie. Someone comes to you and says, "I want you to write a comic." Mm-hmm. Where do you start? Do you start with your own life? Do you start with some genre you love? Where does Dave Gibbons?
2: Do you start with like what you want to draw? Where do you start? Well, I suppose, like you, I've been reading comics for so long that I've got kind of half-formed ideas for all sorts of characters and all sorts of situations and all kinds of ideal ways to do a Western or to do a science fiction thing or a war thing. You know, you've kind of got this these kind of half-formed things that you can build on. And um, I also, for a long time, have kept a notebook where... Whenever I hear a piece of dialogue that I think is really cool or I read a fact in a book or I find myself in conversation or maybe overhearing somebody on the bus or something like that, I'll just kind of write things down. And so one of the first things I would do if somebody came to me would be to get my little notebook out and to think, is there anything in here that could apply to this project? You know, is is there any little because it's a bit like um, I've made this analogy before. I don't know if anybody out there's ever done chemistry when when they were at school, but yes, there's a thing that happens where you can drop one element into a solution of another, and it will just crystallise, and it'll do it almost instantly. And I've often, as I say, often, occasionally had that experience that you you know it's got to be like kind of Captain America or something, and you'll get one of these little elements from somewhere else and drop it into it, and the whole thing will kind of spring alive. Um, I think also, um, it's good not to be too rushed at that stage of things. And I've been very lucky because most of the projects that I've written, I've written as kind of one-offs. They've been mini series or they've been a single issue of something. And I've normally had plenty of time to kick the ideas around and figure out what I'm going to do. What is really hard, and I did find it hard in my limited experience doing the Green Lantern Corps at DC, is to come up with ideas and approaches month after month okay. after month that's the difficult thing
1: speak I, I have the hardcover behind me of your green lantern core one. i'm pointing so people can buy it oh well, yeah buy yeah. That one. yeah
2: it's yeah. brilliant and, and and i mean you know each writing assignment is a bit different in the case of the green lantern Corps and the most recent writing that i did for dc it was very much tied into events that other people were involved with and there were bits of plot left dangling and bits of plot you had to leave dangling. It's a different experience. It's a really interesting experience. It's quite a maddening experience, sometimes (laughs) frustrating because, well, I mean, a case in point with, um, before I did the Green Lantern Corps, I did the Rand Thanagar War, which was one of these things where you, you just got a handful of unused characters and stuffed them into a story. Um, and I had a great ending for it. It was going to be fantastic. It was the Green Lantern Corps arrive and they saved the day and they turned the planets green again. Uh, and I kind of, I had this big ending plan. And then Peter Tomasi called me up and said, <laughs> oh, Dave, you're going to have to lose a few pages because at the very end of your story, the heavens have to open and a giant hand has to reach through from beyond and scoop everything up. And it was like... <laughs> You know, you've, you've been upstage before you've even started, you know. So you, there are always complications like that. But on a good day, you've got a character you enjoy and you've accepted the assignment because you think you can do something with the character, as was the case with Captain America or Batman and Predator. And then you just kind of stir the soup a bit and you put some ingredients in you've already got. Maybe you'll get some editorial suggestions. And then you'll kind of reach the point... And I don't know if you've ever felt like this to terribly mix my metaphors. It's almost like being pregnant. I guess I've never been pregnant. But if you were pregnant. (laughs) Sure. We've all been pregnant, Dave. We know. Yeah. You know, it does come that point where you're going to have to give birth and you sort of that moment arrives and then you just do it. You just put it all down there. So that's kind of how that stage of it will typically go.
1: No, I, found, I find number one issues are the easiest to write because they've been in your head for six months and you're sure. almost relieved to just puke them out because I feel like I'd like yeah. a first issue is just your pitch. It's like the idea you had. The rest of the story, that's the hard part. But the first issue for me is that was that was just a concept. And so that's- Yeah, the well, one it's question.
2: true in, in music, they call it the difficult second album, don't they? You know, <laughs> you, you come up with a great first album because <laughs> that's all you ever wanted to say about Batman and now you've got to fill another 20 issues with it.
1: <laughs> Wait, I, I've had the similar series where it's when they give you a character, you have to find that just that other element that can't come from comics. For me, it's like I have to find um, if I'm working from Batman. Oh, I love you know Rio Bravo, that western. If I add Rio Bravo plus Batman, that's an idea for me.
2: Like yeah. That old... Another thing which I've always found quite useful, and indeed it was Alan Moore who I think mentioned this to me.
1: I, 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 I'm not familiar with his work.
2: Uh, Yes, I think you are, Tom. I think you're being a bit of a nerd now, so let's just move along. So, so, But he said, there's there's the story, there's the plot, but then there's what the story's about. And I think with the best stories, they're more than the plot. They're about something that you've got a view on or that, that has an emotional resonance for you. And if you can put that element into it, then it transforms it. If it's just this happens and that happens and this happens and that happens, But if indeed it's about betrayal or it's about fear or it's about triumph, you know, then you've got something that gives it breadth and gives it solidity.
1: I I feel the same way. In fact, when I come up with an idea, I think I start with that sort of whatever thing I want to write about, like um, Mm -hmm. Strange Adventures, I wanted to write about corruption or whatever. And then, then come the settings. First it goes theme, then settings, then characters, then plot. The plot's always the problem, and I always find as a writer I care the least about the plot. The plot is yes. like something that's just what I'm hanging all my shit on, mm-hmm. and and where it's the. But I think that's almost to a fault because I feel like the reader doesn't realize this, and they care so much about the plot that almost the creator and the reader are sort of almost at odds sometimes. I feel like. Yeah,
2: the plot is a kind of. I mean, I mean. Although I've been in this business longer than you, you've probably written more comics than I've written. I mean, I've kind of picked my place over the over the years, so it, I wouldn't want to personally lecture you on how to do it. But oh, it's it, I, I write. But you have to draw things. Drawing takes a lot longer. I don't know if anyone ever told
1: you, but it's it's.
2: I've it's, noticed. It's, that. <laughs> I've, I've noticed that, and you only get the same credit. You spend four times as long, and if you even get a credit, you only get. A <laughs> yes. but but, yeah the, the kind of plot side of it to me is always the mechanical thing it's the kind of like the left half of the brain it's a puzzle this happens and that happens and this happens and meanwhile this happens and then that meets that but what it's about is the thing as I say that gives it emotional resonance it's the right side of the brain it's the the kind of more um intuitive side of things or more yeah i see what a wonderful writer i am i cannot think of an appropriate word but you get the idea and anyway. no,
1: it's what you remember um about i mean like i, I think of Orpac originals when i look back on originals in my head i'm not thinking of uh the murder or the sort of the, the fight between the gangs i'm thinking of the tone i'm thinking of those uh, futuristic scooters i'm thinking of the party scenes i'm th- it, it's the plot is something you like you occupy while you're in the book, but the mm-hmm. sort of theme is what you sort of take away from it. It's that impression. It's almost like impressionistic painting. You know, it's like yeah. that's not what the world looks like, but it's what you feel when you
2: look at it. Yeah. It's almost like the, the plot is the structure that you hang the interesting stuff on.
1: That's right. Yeah. yeah. I always tell people uh, Watchmen is just a murder mystery. I mean, he created a cool world, but the murder mystery is there so the person can explore the world. And that's the oldest plot you can come up with. That's like if you're a writer and you're just like, I, I love this world. I love these characters. I don't know what to do with them. Just have someone kill another person and have them fi- solve the mystery. That's how to do sure. get...
2: Basic plot number one, the quest.
1: The you quest, know? that's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you've got an idea. You have, what is, what's your next step? Are you a note taker? Do you plan out the whole thing? Do you do all 12 issues? Do you do all 12 issues? Or do you, or you talk to an editor? Do you do it all by yourself? What's your next step after you have the sort of initial idea?
2: Well, I think the next step is you have to get something down usually in writing or in uh, yeah usually it would be writing I would scribble stuff down in a notebook and it might often just be this happens that happens this happens that that happens to get an overview of it you know I've always been a great believer and in if I ever give a talk about creating comics whether it's story or whether it's art or whether it's creating anything I've always found it's a really good idea to work from the general to the particular so in other words you have to have a general feel for the shape of the story and where the highs and lows are and um, um, the kind of, god I'm struggling for a word again, almost the texture of it you know It's, it's it's a weird thing. And just get that down in general terms, you're going to be writing notes that nobody else is going to even see. So that is the time when you can just open your mind and just throw it all down there. And then once you've got it down, it kind of, it it then has a shape And it. And because you've created something, even if it's not the thing, you've got something you can edit and play with and move around and add bits in and take bits out, maybe come up with a whole different way. Often in the process of doing that, you think, oh, no, no, I've come into this the whole wrong way. There's a much better way to to come into this. And actually, now I come to to write it out, that ending's a bit flat, so I need something earlier on to give more weight to the ending. So it's that kind of really plastic, unformed thing that I think is always really important. And as I say, it's great not to be rushed to do that, because quite often your most interesting ideas are not your first idea. They're your seventh idea, you know. Um, So then having done that, uh, you would probably at that point neaten it up and turn it into some kind of outline that you could present to an editor or a collaborator to say, this is kind of what it's like. And then knowing that you're on the right track, then I would probably do a more detailed breakdown, that kind of thing where you have, um, some people call it, An outline where you'd have um, a paragraph per page of story, with maybe a sentence for each picture, and just kind of write it down to 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 see see how it goes. This happens, that happens, this happens. Meanwhile, change of scene, big picture. You know, just just to kind of get get a vague view of it. Please.
1: Do, do you think, I mean, we're a collaborative medium. You've been on both sides of the collaboration. Do you think, do you adjust the story to your artist? Do you hope the writer adjusts his story to you? At what point are you thinking, how can I, I mean, if you're the if you're the artist, like, man, I don't want to draw this freaking horse. I don't want to draw a Western. I, I mean, how, when does the art, the thought of the artist come into this
2: Well, in, in my experience, and you know, I have been lucky enough to work with some geniuses, um, Frank Miller, Alan Moore, Pat Mills, you know. Um, You're dropping names I've never heard. <laughs> <laughs> These guys know about comics and they follow artists and they know about artists and they know what it is in the artist's work that that speaks to them. So they will write to their strengths, write to the artist's strengths. It, it's ridiculous to do anything else. And most often what will happen as well, is before you even write a word, you'll know who the artist will be and you'll have a conversation with them and say, you know, this is the kind of thing I want to do and just get their input. And it's a very wise thing to do because if they're a decent artist, they've got thoughts about these characters that you've never had that you can, that they will give you (laughs) and they can make you look really good when you incorporate them in the work. And plus also as an artist, it's always good to, to feel involved and that the the writer can be bothered to take notice of what you think. The worst thing in the world as an artist, and it happened to me a lot, particularly in the early tra- days, is to be given a script that you know a writer has just banged out in an afternoon without any thought. And no, never. We've
1: never done that. No, it never happened. I'm we, sure you you happened,
2: always full haven't. effort. Some some naughty writers have. And and, you, and you've then got to spend a month sitting with this stuff, you know, at least if you've had input and at least if the, the writer has, has consulted you, even if the story isn't that good, at least you've got an involvement in it. It can work the other way, actually, that sometimes you in the old days, you get a script that was so bad, there was no other way but up. There was probably <laughs> nothing you could do <laughs> that wouldn't improve it. So that was when I had actually, paradoxically, some of my most creative breakthroughs. Because I just draw it however I felt like it, and I, I change change it round and disregard what the artist had, what the writer had written. And sometimes, because it didn't matter, there was nothing to lose. So just do anything, you know. So, and it can be intimidating, obviously, to work with. You, you know, if you've got a Frank Miller script or an Alan Moore script this is something that's going to be left left leave its footprint in the culture of humanity forever and you don't want to be the one who kind of didn't get it right so yeah. that can be intimidating although really you know if you're having if you're writing with if you're working with somebody you like and admire and is a friend it's just great fun i mean i get this impression with what you do with mitch for instance you know you and mitch obviously know every book know each other very very well you yeah. share a sense of humor you share an approach and it's just great fun it's playing a game with a friend is, is that your experience i'm sure it must yes be.
1: yeah I, I mean i've done all of it i i've done yeah i mean i'm the godfather of mitch's son you know like we're we talk every single day but i mean i've had experiences where i did omega Men, where i never uh barney uh, begenda who's a brilliant artist lives in indonesia talks to an agent i've never seen him i couldn't recognize him out of a crowd like we mm-hmm. never even exchanged an email because it was all through his agent. So, I've done like both extremes. Uh, um, but yeah, it, it's much more fun if you're playing with someone who, who does that. But it's also more pressure. Like, if I'm writing a script for an artist I know, then I'm like, crap, like, this person's gonna get this script and hate it and email me and tell me. Like, but sometimes it's better to send it to someone anonymous. So they're just like, okay, the editor told me to draw this, I'll draw it. And then, and then, in those times, like, I don't mind doing like, oh, I'm going to put 11 panels on this page. If I put 11 panels for Mitch, he'll be like, dude, I, I can't have dinner with my family tonight because he's just fucking,
2: <laughs> so yeah, it's a personal it, aspect. It. it would be a shame to lose a friendship with somebody over an overstuffed crowd scene. That's what know? I'm saying,
1: yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I always write back, I'm like, silhouettes, just put everybody in silhouettes, that's cool, I love silhouettes.
2: And of course, when you become more experienced as, as an artist, there are ways around crowd scenes, you know? Uh, how do you you get around
1: crowd scenes what's the secret
2: well have a couple of really big figures who obscure (laughs) the implied crowd behind them is one way to do it or silhouette isn't a bad idea or yeah things things recede into the gloom or into the brightness you know but uh, yeah it's but 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 again this is where in terms of time the, the writer can often the writer can often win over the artist but in a way I'm sure the stage that I've spoken about, where as a writer, you're trying to get that idea and until you've got that idea, you've really got nothing. At least as an artist, what I've always found is you've always got a script, you can always draw something. You know, once the pump is primed, you can just run. Whereas with an, a writer, the problem is to get that pump primed. You know, that's the, that's the imponderable bit and, until the train starts running. But I imagine, like I've talked to JRJR about working with Frank Miller and he'll be like, yeah, there was a whole issue where he just put
1: two words down and I drew it and then he lettered it later and it's brilliant. I mean, I imagine you've gotten some fairly open scripts over the years.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, in the case of something like Watchmen, I think that's my first mention of it today, isn't it? I think so. In the case of something like Watchmen, again, I had long conversations with Alan, but what I get from him would be a fairly... Uh, you know, f- finished, detailed script, although it would always give me alternatives. He would never say, you must draw this. He'd say, you could do this or you could do that, but if you've got a better idea, just do it. But it, but from the time I got the script, you, you knew how many pages it was, you knew what pictures were going to be on which page, you knew functionally what was going to happen. So it was a really interesting contrast to then work with Frank Miller on um, Martha Washington, where he would send you maybe just an outline and you start drawing it. And then, as you say, he'd, he'd, he'd re- re- revise a whole sequence and say, let's put another full pager in here and let's get rid of that page and save it till here. Wait, he did the,
1: after you drew it, he would add more pages? He'd literally draw more of this and that? Yeah, yeah. That's ins- <laughs> I've never done that. That's insane.
2: Well, it was great because it was like jazz. It was like kind of, okay, I've done this. Now you do that. And, you know, and so, I mean, the analogy that I always make is of Alan as Mozart and Frank as Miles Davis, you know, both geniuses, but a different approach. Um, And, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I don't mind either way as long as it keeps me on my toes, as long as what I'm drawing is of enough interest to me that I want to draw it. I, I don't mind which approach I go. When I write for other artists, I like to think, and I'm not comparing the quality of my work to Frank or Alan, but I, I'm such I, I an arrogant
1: guy, Dave give That's your reputation finally is coming out. I was gonna say
2: I don't make that comparison because clearly I'm superior. To oh both. yeah no,
1: no 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 of course yeah no that, that's how I took it that makes sense.
2: But, but <laughs> I, yeah, I I do tend a little bit more towards the the allen school where I want to write everything down just in case there's an idea in there that really sets the artist off and I don't not want to say it, you know. Um, but um, so that's w- where were we in this progress thing? We, was,
1: haven't, we haven't even written the first issue yet. Nor oh not. my
2: god, <laughs> I'm, we're, we're never gonna do it, Tom. We're never gonna <laughs> find the editor, quick, find the editor, get your excuse in first. That's always been my my
1: strength
2: Get your excuses. Uh, so <laughs> then once i had done the outline and once i had done oh yeah yeah that's what i was saying a paragraph a page a sentence a picture as it were because that's what you have to remember about comics it's the it's the relationship between things it's the relationship between the content of the pages one to another and the relationship between the panels on the page so you have to get that nailed down at a fairly early stage then what i would do is i would actually i get like a like a legal pad something like this you know like like a pad like that and down the middle of it i this is a great pro tip tom you can use this in your own work if if you like and we'll no, know I, you why are you and, royalties now i don't know work too will elevate suddenly and magically <laughs> it's, what I do for each page, I just draw a line down the, the middle of the page, and I think on the left I'm going to write the panel description, and on the right I'm going to write the dialogue, and then I'll probably write the pa- or scribble the panel descriptions like long shot Batman, you know, Gotham skyline, the Batmobile screeches around the corner, Commissioner Gordon steps out. So I'd have kind of very brief, terse notes of what what the content was going to look like. Right. And then I'd write down dialogue or captions just as they occurred to me down the other side. And you then it's- the Longhand?
1: You don't dissolve- yeah, yeah, kind
2: of, yeah, scribble that probably no, nobody else could read. Then what I would do is figure out which balloons or panels went in which picture. So I'd then connect them <laughs> together and and see if it worked. And it usually does more or less work again, because with experience, you kind of know what you're what you have the information you have to have in and it's then a question of relating it to the other bits of information so i would then probably go through the whole issue or the whole story and i'd end up with words with descriptions and words and then from there i would probably write the script um and i would do that probably i've got very fond of using something like final draft which is a screenwriting um, software but it's quite handy because you've got um, an appearance for the descriptions the character names are always clear you've got a short narrow area to write dialogue in which is quite useful because by the time you filled up a couple of shortened lines you've probably written enough for that panel right um so what i would do is i'd write the script and i'd probably quite confidently type all the descriptions in of the of the pictures because i kind of know what they look like then I would spend a little more time polishing the dialogue because that's the critical thing and the thing that I love about polishing dialogue is reducing it down to its minimum of saying the most with the least words and that to me gives me huge satisfaction to do that Um, and um, I was rather inspired in that area by um, again I will mention Watchmen an experience I had on Watchmen, where there was a sequence that Alan had written in the script. It was where Rorschach character you may have heard of, and um, I've never heard of him. Uh, well, I've never, yeah. Anyway, so it, it's it's <laughs> it, it's the bit. It's the bit, how playful do I want to be about this? Um, it's it, it, very it's, playful. Is the it's very, very playful. Yeah, it's, it's the bit where Rorschach is having a, a night owl, having a fight with Ozymandias in his. Antarctic castle yeah
1: they're and slamming each, other thing.
2: each other out there's a load of exposition going on and I tried to draw this and I had to phone Alan up and I said Alan this is great stuff but this there are too many words to be said in the time that it would take the action to happen so it, I can't <laughs> make it work he said Dave I thought exactly the same leave it to me and the next morning I got those pages completely rescripted just as good as the originals just as beautifully written but in half the number of words and i thought wow that's that's writing you know so that's something that i always try to do with stuff that i write is not to cut it down to the point of being like a telegram you know but to try and get the maximum value for the words that i've got in there
1: well i mean the the problem with comics which i face every day is uh the pictures look a lot prettier than the words and you want to get the, you want to get more out of the pictures than you get out of the words, at least for me. But if you Mm -hmm. don't put enough words in the comic reads too quick, like you, you, you can, if you just, if you minimize it too much, then it just becomes a flip book. And I've erred on that side where I just read, I was like, Oh, that took me three minutes and someone paid $4
2: for this. Like it's, it's this war between those two uh, factors for me. It is, and, and I think that's what True Masters of Comics... Do. I mean, that's a huge talent What well, of all the people i mentioned, but of Frank Miller, you know, he knows just when to turn the soundtrack on and just yeah. when to turn the visual track on and when to turn it off and how to juxtapose them because that's one of the fascinating things about comics is it is that relationship, that interaction of words and pictures that has the effect. It's not the picture... As it stands or the words as it stand it's like you mix them together and you get a flavor that just wasn't there before and you can counterpoint things and you can emphasize things and you know that that is where to me the true art of comics lies not in writing grammatical or exciting speeches or in drawing wonderfully rendered images it's the bit that overlaps and my theory is, I mean, a lot of the best ever creators of comics have been people like Frank Miller or, or Will Eisner, who do do the whole thing, or Dave but, Gibbons.
1: Yeah. I hear rumors that.
2: You've... Well, you're very kind. You're very kind, and um, <laughs> too kind. But I've but, just spent a t- two weeks rereading your work. You're a fucking genius, man. You're gonna have to face right, up to okay. it. Okay, I'll t- I- I'll take it. Fine. Um, Now you made me forget what I was going to say. Oh no, I I, I know what I was going to say. And in the case of writer and artist teams who have huge success together, it is because they both overlap that bit in the middle sympathetically. You know, that, that although there are two people, they understand the bit in the middle. And I think, again, this comes from working with somebody, you know, really well, like we were saying, like with you and Mitch, you kind of, you know when to step in, you know when to leave it, leave it to the other guy. And that to me is the fascination of comics. It's that hard to define middle area where it chimes or it doesn't, It's it's it still fascinates me.
1: Have you had, and you have to tell me what it is, have you had times in your career where you haven't hit that chime, where you've read something and you said, oh, God, I fucking missed it. Well, how do I, what, because I've done that. I mean, I, I've reread books and I've been like, oh, I just, ah, uh, swing and a miss here, Tom, let's start again. Like, have, has it ever happened to you it's just everything just comes out
2: perfectly. Well, uh, d- that everything comes out perfect, or everything comes out. <laughs> but wherever
1: have you had 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 a time where an artist draws something and it just it doesn't match what you want it to be, and you can't oh. find the words to capture? As as an artist, you must have sort of like, no, that's not how
2: I would do that at all. That you 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 you've missed this. Well, uh, I mean, I must say, overwhelmingly, and and again, I mean, I have been. I'll take all the compliments you, you want to give me, but I have been very. I have excited. lots of compliments. Dave. Thank you. Well, let's. Have you
1: read Batman v. Predator? It's one of my favorite Batman stories of all time. I cannot believe how good that book is.
2: Brilliant. Let's sprinkle the praise throughout the process. I'll <laughs> <Let's laughs> it all in one small area. Well, um, right to um, but I, I've been very lucky with the writers that I've drawn pictures for, and I, I've been really lucky with the, the artists that I've written for as well. I mean, I've had my stuff illustrated by like Mike Mignolia, Mike, Mike Mignolia, Mike Yeah, that Aliens book that. is so
1: good. I don't have a copy, but I read it. It's, <laughs> it's so good, guys. If you haven't checked it out, it's.
2: Um, and Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, Ivan Rice, um, yeah. Steve Rude. you know, these are wonderful talents. And I must say that almost without exception, I've always been thrilled with what I've got back. I always have thought, God, you're making me look so good. You put stuff in there that is absolutely right, but didn't didn't occur to me. And so I've been quite lucky like that. I think on the other hand, you know, you have to approach your work with a bit of generosity of spirit and think, well, you can't, you can't hit the ball every time. You know, you're bound to have the odd miss. But there is, and you do in your own work, you know, you look at your own work and you think, oh, what was I thinking about? Why didn't I just... Take ten more minutes and just draw that place <laughs> properly, you know. Um, and indeed, there's the thing. While we're talking about the creative process, I don't know if it happens to you as a writer, but you know, as an artist, every job I do, every time I start, it's going to be the best thing I've ever done. It's it's going to be. It's great. It's going to be. Because otherwise, how could you start? Yeah. And then you start to do it, and you think, ah, oh, <laughs> um, um, uh, this this isn't turning out. This is, this is work. I'm supposed to enjoy this. this. Oh, look at that. I just can't, look, I can't get this page right. I'm just going to have to move on to the next page and do it. And then you go back and you ink it. Oh, God, I haven't got time to fix it. And then you look at the, you send the finished artwork off and you're expecting the phone to ring because this time the editor is going to say, Dave, you know, you have just blown it this time. This is the one. This is the end, end, end of your career. But they don't. They phone you up and they go, oh, oh. We got it, Dave. It's great. And you think oh, okay. and you're just saying that. You just, you just become a nice guy and you don't want to say bad things. And then it comes out in print and you look at it and it's awful and it's mistake after mistake. And you ne- never want to look look at it again. Two years later on, you're going through your file drawers looking for something else. And you come up, you find this issue that you hated, and you look through it and you think, Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> that's Not right. Great. It's the best thing I ever did, but it, it's okay. And I've, and this is advice, not for you particularly, but that I would pass on to my fellow artists and writers. I'm sure you've all had that experience. The main reason it happens is that you were the only one who saw in your head what it could have been when you started off, it's going to be the best thing ever. Only you ever saw that. All anybody else ever sees is the result. And if the result is all right, then it's all right. So you're the only one who gets that disappointment. So be prepared for it if it happens. Don't stress about it too much. Move on, get it done. Move on to the next issue because it could be that issue which is going to be the best one you've ever did.
1: Whenever I read my own work, I feel I feel like whenever other people's work, I'm like everything in here was necessary. Like they did this on purpose. They put this exact sentence, this exact picture. This is their plan, and I have to interpret why they did this. But when I read all my own work, it all feels contingent. I was like did I just do that because my dog barked and I had to walk out of the room? I would like, I I feel like I I read my own work as I want to constantly re-edit it. Like like it's it's hard to sort of accept that this is in stone. I mean, that, that, that to me is the problem. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's true. And of course there there, there is that thing that, that your work tends to be almost like, like a soundtrack or a sort of the thread of your life. You know, you can even years after I can remember, where i was when i drew a particular thing or what frame of mind i was in or often sometimes what album i was listening to when i drew it you know? <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's so strange so that the work becomes such an intrinsic part of your life i mean it shouldn't be the only thing i'm going to get very philosophical it shouldn't be the only thing that gives your life value But what? now you tell me i'm deep into this <laughs> oh god damn it. <laughs> but it, it does put have up some a, pictures you know, of my kids yeah i mean I, I i would i would say this with the the originals which you've been very generous about because i wrote and drew that myself which it's was so, if,
1: if people don't know the originals, is it's a, a, a a futuristic graphic novel but it's about sort of your experience in the 60s as a mod and yeah. it's, it's brilliant. It's it's a combination of memoir and futurist and, and moral dilemmas and just, added, yeah, I love it. If anyone doesn't get that book, the hardcover just came out. It's back here from Burger Books and it's
2: gorgeous. Well, thanks, Tom. Yeah, no, I, I was going to say about that, you know, one of the things I really enjoy about comics, and that's evident from what we've said so far, is I love the collaborative aspect of it because I, I'd love to have somebody to bounce ideas off and, you know, the, 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 there is that thing they say that if you're in a good collaboration, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. You know, you get you get more than you could have done if you just done for it sure. yourself. But the, the originals, it was my story about what had happened to me, written by me, drawn by me, lettered by me, grey-toned <laughs> by me, graphic designed by me. So it virtually meant I sat in a room on my own for two years doing this work and at that time we were in between moving houses and I had this kind of attic studio where you couldn't even, it had a skylight but you couldn't see the, the street, you couldn't see people, so was <laughs> like being in this monastic cell and I got quite this disheartened because even if you had a good week and did maybe four pages, there'd still be another 120 to go and I actually got, I, I found it really really hard and uh it was great, and I suppose I'm now turning this into a self serving story. But we, I did eventually oh, win an Eisner award for it, which was great. And again, oh. I think it was just because I hadn't had one recently, and there being <laughs> been but, but my wife and my recently, friends, he says, I haven't had yeah. one recently. You
1: forfeit. Yeah, I'm sorry, true.
2: you had it. You had it. No, that sounds much more arrogant <laughs> than I meant it to sound. <laughs> But the good thing was that my wife and my teen, teenage stepdaughters at the, at the time, who put up with a lot of my bad temperedness and angst, were actually there to think. Oh. Well, it did matter, you know. You you did, it did matter to the rest of the world, even through those dark days when you thought it didn't. So, yeah.
1: When you're doing something for yourself that you wrote, do you change it. Would you do you write your script out first, or are you more improvisational when you're drawing, or? Do you
2: stick by like, oh,
1: Dave Gibbons from two months ago told me to draw this. What the fuck was that Dave Gibbons thing?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, again, I, I do. I'm a, I'm a great believer in doing things in the right order and properly. You know, I do have my own rules. And one of those things is, you know, never kid yourself that you'll fix it in the inks. You know, it's a bit <laughs> like you'll fix it in post. It, it shit, but we'll fix it in post. No, <laughs> writers do that. We'll
1: fix it in letters. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't think this works, but this deadline's here. I'll, when I get the letters off, and then the letters come, I was like, I have no idea how to fix this.
2: Yeah, So, but, but I've found it's best that, that to do each stage fairly conscientiously. So if I was writing a script for myself, I wouldn't go into such, I wouldn't be so florid or so descriptive as I would be for somebody else, but I would know what was happening in the picture and I would figure out the dialogue beforehand, even if it could later be changed. And I must say, we're doing the originals, once I'd done, once I'd written the script, I probably didn't change more than 5% of it. And really? that's quite often, um, you know, because it grammatically was wrong or something like that. Um, but um, yeah, so I mean, I would tend to stick to that. So coming back to our scheme, I've written the script now, and then the next thing I would do would be to thumbnail it out. i i I now would know what, what if I was if I was drawing a script somebody else had written for me, or drawing my script that I'd written for me, but not if it was being drawn by somebody else. Because one of the worst things you can do to to an artist is to give them a sketch of how you think it might be. Because as an artist, once you've seen that sketch, that's the only way you can imagine it, which is which is why, you know, you're your Batman collaborators must have a terrible trouble when they see your, <laughs> frankly, I'm sorry, Tom, crappy Batman drawings. Oh, oh I'm here, sorry. I'm
1: interviewing you. You're insulted. I see how well, it's
2: about. I'm trying to be oh, honest with God. you. I'm, I'm paying you the respect of extreme honesty tom i'm trying to help you in your career
1: my heartbreaking
2: that's what it is okay okay i mean they're heartfelt they're spirited attempts
1: you know i've been stuck inside for two years doing my own creator own drawn work um so i don't know maybe it won't win me a recent eisner but i'll do yeah. it, like
2: it i'm sorry i was no no i, was, no, 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 I get so I was you, too you, arrogant you... before i'm being too harsh now I'm, I'm, i just can't get the tone of this interview right it's, it's very difficult <laughs> <laughs> but no so if i was then drawing the comic i would thumbnail it and i'd do these tiny little you you've probably seen them before if you've seen my books on how to do things i do these kind of postage stamp little thumbnails of the entire book and i take quite a lot of time doing those uh, and make sure that they told the story that actually is the bit where the magic happens what i was going on about earlier you know it's the bit in between the words and the pictures where it really happens your thumbnails are actually that point where you're you're gelling everything you're actually making making the compound and if you've done those properly then by the time you've you thumbnail the last page you can look at the whole thing and if you squint it's almost like you've got the comic book in front of you and then all you need to do is bring it into focus all you need to do is actually draw it which means Solving all the problems of human anatomy, composition, perspective, you know, all, all those things. But those are drawing problems as distinct from storytelling problems.
1: So you work with uh, Frank Miller, Alan Moore, people who started out drawing comics before they're writing. They never have sort of been like, this is how you should do it. And they sort of, like famously, Graham Morrison claims that when he does a script, he draws the complete script and then throws out the drawings and just sends in his writing. Did, have, they, have you ever had, you've never had writers be like, this is how you do it
2: and draw it out? No, I mean, I have seen um, Alan Moore's um, sketchbooks because he would draw out every page, but he never, ever showed me what he'd drawn out for his really? <laughs> I was I was round his house and I saw some, I forget what the comic book was, but it was some things that he'd done for other people. But they were really only stick figures. And I think lots of writers do that. They'll just do little stick figures just to kind of do, an impression of what it would be like. Um, and, and as a point of honour, there was a thing, there was a mini series I did with Steve Rood that I wrote and, and he drew. And there was one bit of the description that he just couldn't get. And I thought, I'm not going to draw it for him. I'm going to describe <laughs> it to him. So I described it to him and he still didn't get it. And then I tried again and he still didn't get it. And I drew it for him and went, oh, now I get it, Dave. Yeah, that's easy, thanks, you know. So it's a re- it's a real point of honor not to resort to a drawing because it feels like you're not if you have to draw it, you're not you're not a writer anymore. You're a sort of a scribbler, you know.
1: See, I was lucky enough not to have any artist skills at all. So I don't even have that chance. So if an artist for giving me they they they'll they know there's no actual skill. I've seen Scott Snyder's scripts, he'll actually draw a little be like, this is kind of a design element. But for me, I'm just like, good luck, I this is what's in my head. And if you can't understand it, uh
2: yeah i think that's the best approach yeah oh,
1: see exactly nailed it yeah. by incompetence That's yeah, how, I, yeah. that's
2: how
1: uh we've gone pretty far do you want to you want to keep talking about this i want to talk about first issues you write incredible first issues uh and you've drawn martha washington's incredible first issue uh watchman originals how do you approach a first issue what is a first issue needed
2: Whoa well i suppose in a way the first issue although you've maybe pitched the idea and you spent your whole life trying to get some sort of reputation the the first issue is the pitch it's like if they don't like the first issue they're not going to like the rest well not necessarily but generally speaking they're not going to like the rest of it but first issues can be difficult because first issues are difficult if they're origin stories i mean origin stories are kind of you i i hate origin i want to get to the meat of it you know which is why i think quite often movie trilogies it's the second one which is the sweetest one because the first one is the origin and the second one is the sweet one like with the original superman movies my favorite is superman 2 i guess with with alien it's aliens is, is is my favorite you know it's it's so, a first issue, if it's going to be an origin story, is really difficult for me. I think the way to do it is to not make it an origin story, but to make it a story that happens to lead to something, you know. um so well, when case- you did
1: when you did Eric Kingsman, the first issue he's not uh, he's not a super spy by the end of the issue. You're just reading about some grumpy kid and he's in a bad situation. I was amazed at how little origin story was in that first issue of Kingsman.
2: Yeah I suppose in some cases you're not telling the story of the origin like who he is and who he, how he came to be as much as describing the world and as you mentioned earlier on with Watchmen it's the it, you incite a kind of murder mystery which means that one of our characters is our kind of avatar and he goes around the world and you meet everybody and you see everything and you glimpse enough of the incidentals to think ah this is what we're in for there's one thing that i often do before a first issue and i did it in the case of watchman did it in the case of martha washington as well in fact it would be too disruptive but i could show you a big piece of artwork from martha but i I is it for sale my dog is excited about it yeah the the dogs love it the dogs love my work They'll chew it, they'll lie on it. They just love it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what I quite often do is do a page, a page like a page zero, which is not from the story, but is what a page is going to look like. Because I do try and give projects that I work on a different look. Like what Watchmen has obviously got, as I'm sure you've noticed, Tom, an, a nine-panel grid, you know. <laughs> <Wow>. but, <laughs> Yeah. mind blown <laughs> yeah it's there if you look, you look you and see it um um and um you know i knew it had to have that distinctive look so i did a page zero for watchman which has appeared in print anyway but it's kind of a nine panel grid showing the kind of picture content and the lettering style and everything it's Why almost like
1: know,
2: a, I, I, rem- I remember
1: at the icers once i said oh thank i'm sorry i stole the nine panel grid from you and you said i fly well, I stole it from steve Ditko." Why why did you decide nine panels was the way to go? I mean, I'm sure I want to know, but I know you've been asked
2: that before. Well, nine panels on a page looks, it's a nice, if you divide pages in half, it's boring because everything matches. But thirds, it's like that compositional rule of thirds thing. It's an odd number. So it's more interesting. The corners, the internal corners of it sit in the thirds, obviously. So it looks, it sort of sits on the page nicely. And it's probably about the right size to put a little unit of story in. And it also has the effect, as again, you and everybody else, and Steve Ditko himself noticed, once you establish a grid, if you break the grid or you join two or three pictures together, the pictures look immense. Whereas uh... in a regular comic, it it really wouldn't look that much. I mean, the reason I did that was almost as a... Because Watchmen came out in in the days of what I would call uh poster designs for comic book pages where you get one money shot of a hero and a load of little dialogue pictures and that had become how comics were done and i wanted to do something that looked different from that and also i I wanted to do something that would enable a very complicated story to be told slightly simply slightly more simply in the, the in the uh format you know um, but then when it came to do Martha Washington, that's completely freeform. There are no grids going on in there at all. So that gives that, that a distinctive look. So in the case of Martha, I, I did a sample where everything had, you know, sort of bled off the page or was more dynamically composed. And if I can do that again, it's like the doing the thumbnails and squinting at it. And you can more or less see the finished comic. If you've done a page zero, you can think, yeah, yeah, this is what a finished page from that series is going to look like. And then you can draw issue one, page one, with a little bit more assurance.
1: Do you talk to the editor about this? Or this is like, I know how this is gonna... Because every time you share something with the editor, you're risking losing a little bit of yourself. But you you, you might get reassurance, but you also might get this turned down. What do you share, what don't you share?
2: Well, in the case of Watchmen or um, Martha Washington, really editors didn't come into it at all. You know, I mean, people were credited as editors, but I'm sure that they would agree with me that what they did was really make sure the trains ran on time, that there were no sort of spelling errors or there was nothing that just didn't work. But as for the idea of editorial input, we didn't ask for it. It wasn't offered and everybody was very happy at that. And I mean, in the case of Watchmen, about the first that they see of it, at DC would be when the finished ink-lettered pages and the color guides arrived in a package, um, and they never, they changed. There were a couple of places where they changed dialogue, and they actually made it worse. And so we then had to change it back. There's one particular panel where it was re-lettered and pasted up, really four or five times. It's it's the one. It's where they just crash landed the owl ship in the in the Antarctic, and there's something about night owl gets his little hover scooters out and there's a bit of banter about remember that time you came out of that tunnel on one of these all the rats running in front of you or this some piece of dialogue like that and it was changed by the editor and changed back by alan and then changed back and then changed back again and the one that it's the only time it happened and i don't know you know sometimes you get really focused on something and it just becomes something that you can't get rid of that was a panel like that. But in the final Absolute Watchman, it's the correct um original script version of the dialogue. So all you nerds out there, you can go and have a close look at that in that book behind you. Yes. Uh
1: I I, I had the pleasure of uh, of uh sitting with Len, Len Wein for a while, and it was at a time in my career. When I was trying to do ambitious things and I've noticed that editors really didn't want to do ambition, especially at the sort of big two companies, they, you know, they, they don't, they don't, you know, if you say to them, hey, man, I have this idea for this layout and this will mirror this other layout. And they're like, that, that sounds like it's going to affect your deadline. Don't, you know, like, like that. And <laughs> I asked, I, I asked Lenway, I said, how did you, how did Watchmen work? How were you able to do something? I mean, because it's 24 pages, no, commer- no, no commercials. You couldn't do that today. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and you had front and back cover control, which we very rarely have these and I asked him how, and he, he said he said I had pitched Team Titans and they hated it, they said it was a total failure and, and Wolfman and Perez were going to go down in flames and that was their biggest hit ever. So when I went with them Watchmen, they just thought I was talking about the same thing and it let me do it. That was his answer.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I, I think the thing with Watchmen as well, and, and the thing generally with creator owned stuff, I mean Watchman wasn't creator owned, but Martha Washington and other stuff was was Creator owned Is that say coming back to the case of Watchman, they were characters that didn't mean anything. And and you know, as you know, some of them died, some of them went 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 crazy. Um but it wasn't like we were going to do that with batman or we were going to do that with green lantern where obviously they want a little bit more editorial input. i mean they had nothing to lose so they just left us alone to do it. and i think also you know alan he made such a huge difference he completely turned around swamp thing i mean that was just mind-boggling what he managed to do with that so he was their golden boy and they knew that I was reliable and that, I, you know, I wouldn't draw anything too shabby. So <laughs> I, think, I, think, and I loved Len. I worked with Len. But I think if Len knew that a decent product was going to come out that he didn't have to spend too much time on, then he'd be very happy. with. <laughs>
1: it's the editor's
2: calling, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it makes a ton of sense
1: uh um so we're getting towards the end so now i get to ask you just a few questions would you rather live in uh martha washington's future world or our current future or our current (laughs) world
2: i'd rather live i think basically um um, (laughs) yeah i mean well we certainly didn't see we saw a lot of things coming but we didn't see these particular circumstances coming i mean but it, it is weird, and lots of people have drawn attention to it. There's cert- certain aspects that we were right on the money with, and I mean, we did that like 30 years ago. Uh, the must Frank must have been ch- tuned into something, and I must have seen pictures from the future or something like that. It, it is quite uncanny. I, I wouldn't agree read with it on it anybody, is- but uh, yeah, it's strange how life imitates art.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I could. I I read it all in one gap and you really can't because there's a it's over 20 years from the first issues to sort of when she dies. Oh, spoilers. Uh, but <laughs> now, now nobody's going to buy it now, Tom, because they know what happens. You've given the plot away. No one will see the movie when you make this brilliant movie. someday. Uh, oh, sorry. Yo, I, oh, I didn't know anything. This is complete guessing. Uh, but. Yeah, it, it felt to me very much because it was—it felt so contemporary. I couldn't tell what was written in the '80s or in the '90s or in the aughts, because it all felt like it was talking to the now. It was talking to current issues of sort of politics and reality TV and all that stuff. I—I I, I was blown away by just how dead on you were. It was—you I mean, just—you you just missed the plague. That's all. But I feel like there was hints of it.
2: Well, it would have been one plot thread too too many. I think, as we <laughs> were discovering, you know.
1: I did notice. This is just a very small thing. The. In, in in the book, Frank Miller dedicates the like, third volume to Ayn Rand, saying yeah. she was my huge inspiration. And I always think of Watchman and Rorschach as a parody of Ayn Rand as saying what a crazy person this is. And I was wondering what it, what it must be like to be on sort of both sides of the, these two writers who come at this one philosopher from two different ways. Well,
2: yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I think sometimes by expounding people's philosophies, you can illustrate the shortcomings in them so I think just because you deal with a certain writer you know doesn't necessarily mean that you personally admire them or would emulate them or would recommend them but I I suppose what what Martha was about was how do you order society if it all breaks down and obviously the Randian thing is one way of looking at it and also because it inherently is a very black and white philosophy somebody like Rorschach with his reductive worldview would be attracted to it you know so it kind of yeah again it's something that's floating around isn't it that you you almost if you're talking about dystopias or you're talking about things gone wrong you're going to be mentioning things like that
1: I see things in Martha Washington that I think are almost not a commentary on Watchmen. It's sort of Frank. I mean, there's a plot line of like, let's unite the whole world if we create a bad incident. Martha has to, Martha has to prevent it. He almost puts the Watchmen plot in in the later episode. Um hmm. was this on purpose, or do you think Frank was just riffing and just there
2: Well, I'm I mean, sorry. you know, we spoke earlier about plot number one, the 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 quest. I mean, the, there is philosophical proposition number one. Probably it's like, uh, um, it's a bit like my my about uniting against a common enemy uh, and i mean the thing about watchman is it's kind of well if there's this fifth dimensional squid menace we've got to stick together you know uh, and a similar situation in martha um and um I mean i'm sure that must have been going in biblical times in greek times in chinese times before that that yeah you might hate somebody but if there was a threat to both of you you would unite with them so i think it's again it's almost you almost can't avoid coming up with that kind of stuff if you're getting into that kind of geopolitical kind of thing
1: so so i i've been told that i have to wrap it i could talk to you for 15 hours about all this stuff Uh, is there anything Uh, you would like to plug or tell people to look at or say something, you know, go out there and buy this or do anything, anything out there you want to talk to the audience about that I didn't mention.
2: Well, the thing that I have spent some time working on and I actually finished writing it a year or more ago is my autobiography, which, um, you know, I I think the world's finally ready for it. Um, And it's, I I think it should be of interest to people. It, It was really that I've had so many, I think, interesting um, experiences in comics and I've also been really lucky to meet and to work with so many people who have been pivotal in comics which is the field that I've dedicated my life to which I from being a child have, have loved that I thought it'd be interesting to give a kind of behind the scenes view so I've done this autobiography which is not a chronological autobiography it's kind of anecdotal it's anecdotes arranged in alphabet- an alphabetical <laughs> um uh, what I it's an alphabetical anecdotal autobiography <laughs> that sounds and, amazing and when it's it? about hundred thousand words it's going to have lots of pictures in it as well which will tend to be things of mine that people haven't seen or are very familiar with it will be obscure stuff i've done right at the beginning of my career and advertising stuff and foreign language stuff that i've done during my career we spent some time with one publisher and we couldn't really get going anywhere, but it's now with another publisher. I'll say no more than that. It's, it's with another publisher who are gone ho to publish it. So I'm hoping that once present operational difficulties are resolved a bit, we can get that autobiography out there. In which case it would be a pleasure to do an interview or a chat with you again, Tom, after you've had a chance to internalize that and ask me some interesting questions based on, on that. I would love to. I,
1: first, I, I just love to read the autobiography and I'd love to talk to you about the autobiography. I'll be first in line to get that book. I cannot wait to read it. I, I, I've talked long enough. We went our whole time. We didn't even get to how to end a story. So good luck starting it. Now we have no advice on how to finish it.
2: Uh, well, it was good. I'm, I'm surprised that the time went so quickly. We obviously were enjoying ourselves. And yeah, let's find an excuse to, to do it again another time. And I'd, I'd really love to chat to you about some of the wonderful things that you've been involved with. So uh, we'll do it again soon.
1: You're so nice.
2: Uh, how, about, how about a wonderful day? You too, Someone's uh, Take I, I care of I go. assume someone's going to
1: take
0: us away. There you go, Dave Gibbons and Tom King in conversation. Now, there's going to be more Tom King in November here on Word Balloon. First of all, tonight, Tuesday night, I am uh, having a conversation with Tom King and Mike Cronenberg and Eddie Muller and Steve Cronenberg, and we're talking about Noir City and the Noir Film Foundation. Uh, on uh, on a special Word Balloon scene missing. That's happening this evening. And uh, you're going to hear that conversation this week as well. And don't forget, we've got the Bat Black Friday event coming on Black Friday. And certainly we'll be celebrating Batman Catwoman with Tom King and Clay Mann and a whole bunch of other great creators as well. Joshua Williamson, Jason Fabek will be talking three Jokers. Uh, We've got uh, David Finch coming on. Lots of great creators. Judd Winnick is going to be on as well. It's going to be a great four- or five-hour event on the evening of Black Friday, starting at uh, 6 or 7 p.m. Eastern Time. We're still finalizing the schedule. But uh, it's going to be several hours of panels celebrating Batman. We're also selling uh, art prints and autographed comics uh, for the event as well. And that's all happening at MainframeComicCon.com. Word Balloon's YouTube channel will also be carrying the panels live. It's going to be a great night, and I can't wait for it, and Tom is going to be a big part of it. It's all happening on November 27th. This episode of Word Balloon brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners and their subscriptions and support of Word Balloon via Patreon, patreon.com slash wordballoon. I am pleased to say that not only are there listeners... But also, a lot of comic book guests are uh, supporters of Word Balloon via Patreon and part of the league. Uh, I would like to uh, send you a domino mask and cape for your support. If you're interested, I know it's a weird time and a lot of people are counting every penny. Um, Is Word Balloon and the programming I provide to you each month worth a dollar a month to you? Is it worth the price of a comic book a month? If you think it is, if you can swing it, I hope you'll consider a subscription to Word Balloon via Patreon. patreon Patreon.com slash Word Balloon. Word Balloon is also brought to you by Aftershock Comics. Aftershock has a really interesting slate of books that are happening. A really neat book that just got announced. It's called Knock 'Em Dead and it's from Elliot Ryle and Mattia Monaco. Pryor Bryce has always wanted to be funny, and now he's taken the plunge and started doing stand-up comedy. Unfortunately, his older sister, Ronan, wants her brother to stop daydreaming and focus on his future. Pryor is determined to succeed. The only problem is he totally sucks at stand-up. That is until an accident changes everything, leading both Pryor and Ronan to discover comedy isn't all it's cracked up to be. Coming your way in December, it's Knock'em Dead, a supernatural horror about the high cost of making it. Brought to you by Elliot Royale and Mattia Monaco from Aftershock Comics. Pretty neat stuff. A new interesting book that will be joining the Aftershock Pantheon. Check out more details. Go to their website and find out about more great series, full story descriptions, preview pages of art, and the diamond coats on how to order these books and more at AftershockComics.com. Thanks a lot for listening. Of course, we've got our Matt Wagner uh, episode that we also posted today. I hope you check that out. And more great Word Balloon all week long. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions. Copyright 2020. Stay safe, stay happy, stay healthy.